When I started the Independent Minded Podcast seven years ago, the idea of a sponsor seemed so out there, so ridiculous, it wasn't even a consideration. This podcast is punk rock. It's its own thing. It's right there in the title. So no corporate scum were going to get their grubby little mitts on it. But somewhere down the road, I broke the chains of indentured audio servitude. And I said to myself, Ron, you're not a sellout. You're in charge now. And if there's a company, a product out there that you actually use, that you actually support and admire, why not promote it to your millions of fans? And by millions, I mean thousands. And yes, it took 100 episodes to find the perfect partner, but it has finally happened. My romance with Bloom Farms CBD. And if you're like me, maybe you've dabbled in psychedelics over the years. (laughs) I'm here to tell you that is not what CBD is all about. CBD is a new thing. It's in the spotlight and for good reasons. Bloom Farm CBD is organic. It's non-GMO. It's vegan. It's relaxation in liquid form. You just open the bottle, squeeze a couple of drops under your tongue, and let the tincture do its work. Maybe you're like me, you have trouble sleeping, too cheap to turn on the AC this summer, is your dog hogging the blankets? Make Bloom Farms part of your nightly routine. The tinctures are beautifully packaged, and for every purchase you make, they donate a healthy meal to someone in need. So if you're unsure if CBD is right for you, here's your chance to give it a try. And at the very least, you provided a meal for a hungry person. Bloom Farm CBD is available in most states here in the U.S. They also ship internationally. And if you're listening outside of the U.S., first of all, Arigato gozaimaista, mate. Wherever you're hearing this, best way to find out if Bloom Farms products are available in your part of the world, bloomfarmscbd.com. That's bloomfarmscbd.com. And right now, enter the promo code BALDFREAK, that's me, at checkout. Get 20% off your purchase with Bloom Farms CBD. Not 10%, not 15%, nuh-uh, 20% off. Find your balance, relax, recover, bloomfarmcbd.com. Promo code BALDFREAK. Get 20% off. Now's your chance to see if CBD is right for you. BloomFarmCBD.com. Independent Minded with Ronnie Scalzo. Is Bob Boylan my father? Better yet, if Bob Boylan built a time machine and traveled back 20 years to visit his old self, would he find me there in his place? I pose these somewhat legitimate and confusing questions because as it turns out, Bob Boylan and I are very much alike. We're both lifelong musicians who've spent a short lifetime working in the radio business. We're both from Brooklyn. We're both introverts. We're both bald. We both play synthesizers. We're both full-on music nerds who host music-loving podcasts. And so I wanted answers. What else did Bob Boylan and I have in common? Better yet, what made us different? I invited the man who invented the All Songs Considered podcast and the Tiny Desk Concert for NPR Music, the man who's been an integral part of the Washington, D.C. music scene for four decades, out for a beer to be my very special guest for episode 100 of the Independent Minded Podcast. We sweat out a long conversation at Wonder Garden, an outdoor beer garden down the block from Bob's tiny desk. The masses huddle under the main tent watching the United States women's soccer team battle for the World Cup. And so Bob and I escape to a shady corner to converse. And during our talk, Bob checks off all the boxes that make up Ron's expectations. He's humble. He's funny. He's grateful. He knows his shit. So what if he poos all over some of my all-time favorite bands? So what if he at one point stops down the interview to complain that the venue is blasting Hotel California in the background? That's what art is. A thing to be worshipped by some, scorned by others. Like many of the artists I talk to, Bob Boylan's got a great success story. 
he probably never saw the spotlight coming. And that's what makes the trajectory so beautiful. Compared to his notoriety as a radio personality, Bob's music is relatively obscure. But that doesn't make any of his own material any less stellar, whether in Tiny Desk Unit, Danger Painters, or even his ambient solo tunes. It's clear to me that Bob Boylan creates for the pure joy of it. That's what makes him the perfect guest for episode 100. He embodies the spirit of the indie artist, and has become a champion for so many that have shown up after him. Bob and I talk about thunderstorms, tiny desks, making bagels, the power of his hat, and running away screaming from rock and roll. Let's kick things off with Wonder from the new Danger Painters album 13, then my epic 100th conversation. This one with the great Bob Boylan right here on Independent Minded.
I'd give even more to do it again and again and again. When you talk to somebody, do you have the notebook out or is that just that's taboo? So the worst interview I ever did. Uh, oh, good. Let's start there. Was um, with Stephen Malkmus. It was backstage, 9:30 club. He was going to go on, and I walked in with my notepad. I had my ideas, what I wanted to do, and he seemed like not interested. And the more I asked my mundane questions about that he's been asked four million times before, right, the less interested he was in doing it. And then I realized. I should have just said, you don't feel like doing this. This isn't working. Let's just stop. And I didn't do that. I should have done that. But I also learned a lot about myself, which is that, and this is this will come off awful because here you are sitting with a pad of paper, but <laughs> when, when I go and have a conversation with someone, after that interview, I stopped writing down my questions and I stopped bringing any form of paper. Now, there are moments where, if it's an artist I don't know at all that I'm going to talk to, that I will write down ideas that I want to get to. Right. And I'll put it, I'm usually, most of my interviews are not in this shade. Uh, um, this is an exotic setting we're in, by right, the way. Right, right. You want to explain? Cause we're we're at hear Wondergarten people. in downtown Washington, D.C., in Capitol Hill. It's a steamy summertime afternoon. This is kind of like a multicolored couch. Right. So like a Pier 1 uh, backdrop here for the... Bob Boylan, independent-minded podcast. Anyway, my point was that I don't... Yeah, so I should just burn this notebook. <laughs> it's hard for me to, to kind of retain, especially somebody like you who I probably have a million questions. Yeah. I, I know I'll forget something, and I've learned from my time in, in journalism and in radio that what you should probably do is have a natural conversation, have this handy, yeah. and then once the natural part of the conversation is over, pause look at your notes, say, oh, I forgot to ask A, B, and C, and then no one will be the wiser because I can edit it all up and it'll sound yeah. just like a natural conversation. That's, you can do that. I, I'm completely pulling back the curtain here. <laughs> but that, but that's well, let's the, just do this. That's the magic of the podcast. And Well, first and foremost, Bob, I want to thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy man. We did it. We did it. It took a couple of weeks to, to kind of get everything in together. You were on the road. What goes on on a, on a Tiny Desk Music concert tour? So we went on a tour with our contest winner, Quinn Christofferson. Well, first of all, back a little bit, because I don't know if people know what the contest is. So we, we asked people to submit a song of their own, recorded at a desk of their choosing, and submit it with a chance to win their own concert at the Tiny Desk, which is my desk at NPR. And uh, we get 6,000-plus submissions. We pick from those submissions. We get a winner. We go on tour with that winner in every city we go to. And this year it was Seattle, it was Los Angeles, it was Austin, it was New York. And every city we go to, we pick three other artists who submitted to the contest to play on stage along with our winner. And so that's huge for them because usually what will happen is they'll, in Austin, there's a good chance that most of the audience there won't even know their own bands because there's often so many bands in so many cities. All the musicians get to know one another. The fans who have come to see our winner, Quinn Christofferson, get to know all these other bands in their own area. And it's a beautiful community-forming evening in a small club is what they are. So that's what goes on. And that's where you were um, and why you blew me off. For <laughs> well, I use that as an excuse. Yeah, sure, surely, yeah. I feel like if you, didn't, if, if you really didn't want to do the interview, you would have kind of been 
upfront about it. So, yeah, no, of course. Um, but I have to say, and I know you think maybe people are being presumptuous, like they don't know who you are, but to a guy like me who grew up in radio, who's an independent musician myself, you're a bit of a legend. I don't, I don't know if you... Uh, it's sweet. I, it's hard for me to think that way at all. Well, yeah, but I want right. to talk about that. That is kind of making up what is on my pad here. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's talk about Bob Boylan, the tastemaker, before we talk about <laughs> Bob Boylan, the musician, and Bob Boylan, you know, the Washington, D.C. resident. So we're going to talk about my bagel recipe? Is that yeah, what we're well, doing? Well, yeah. Here? I mean, you know what? That isn't even on my list of questions, but I, I have noticed that you do make homemade bagels, right? I do make homemade uh, every Sunday, and I bring them into work I, on I Monday. I don't even know where to begin to start to ask about that. I grew up in Brooklyn. As did I. Did you? As yeah. did I, yes. Um, and you don't make bagels? I don't. I eat bagels. <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn. The reason I got into radio, the biggest reason at least, is I guess when I was in junior high school, there was a station in New York City called WBAI 99.5, just to the left of the dial of the commercial radio station where I would wind up working professionally for 20 years of my life. Wow. It was called the Friday Night Rock and Roll Dance Party. It was basically a bunch of hippies at a public radio station who just put on these radio theatrics. One weekend they were in a diner and another weekend they were in outer space. This guy, his stage name, his radio name was Bernie Fleshkin and he uh, masqueraded as an agent to the Hollywood stars. And he wore a leisure, supposedly wore a leisure suit and he put on a voice. <laughs> but in between all the, all the riffs and the skits, he would play the music of the time, which was Love and Rockets and The Clash and um, shriek back, like kind of obscure, wow. alternative, yeah. new wave, post-punk of the time. Yeah. Now, Bob Boylan, the musician, should be very familiar with that music yeah. because the bands that you've been in, Tiny Desk Unit, Danger Painters, kind of remind me of the bands from that era. It's hard for me to see all of that because I get so lost in my world of making music. Um, but certainly, Tiny Desk Unit formed in the late 70s. I play electronic synthesizers and stuff in that band. And when I do Danger Painters, which is my current band, I think we have 13 albums out now. And when I make Danger Painter records, I'm this sort of center focal point of where all the instruments come to. I do the mixing, I do the texturing and the layering and all the, that kind of stuff. So I guess, I mean, Shriek Back for sure, I, I hear. I, well, Talking Heads is a band that immediately comes to mind. I went back. I always do my due diligence. I absorbed as much Bob Boylan music as I could. That's awesome. Thank in a you. short amount of time. And uh, it almost sounds like Tiny Desk Unit is like Talking Heads if Tina Weymouth was singing instead of David Byrne. I think we're really different and more psychedelic and spacey than Talking Heads ever were. Yeah. But we certainly grew from there. I mean, Talking Heads 77 came out. was a life-changing record for me. The band that influenced my life more than any other band, other than the Beatles, into playing music was a group called the Urban Verbs. The singer for the Urban Verbs was the brother of the drummer of the Talking Heads. So Roddy France was the singer of the Urban Verbs. They're a Washington, D.C.-based band, formed in 1978. And Chris France is the drummer for uh, Talking Heads. So Who's married to Tina Weymouth. Who's married to Tina Weymouth. Just Wayman, throwing my music player. knowledge yes, right. out there for you, Bob. And, and so, uh, <laughs> so, yes, we all were absorbing and had a, a sound basis for the same sort of love of stuff. We were all sick of what had happened to rock and roll and how big and ugly it had gotten and how weighty it had gotten and, and so full of superstars and all that crap. That's why punk existed. Name, name a band from that era who kind of embodied the distaste you had for, <laughs> for that sort of music. 
I mean, uh, I could say from my era, like, you know, Nickelback, which is obviously a cliche, but from your era, as somebody who's younger than you, like, I, I only know that music through my parents. Yeah. And then obviously digging back as I got older into the archives. Yeah, I guess. But in the uh, moment. I mean, you could say Rush. You could say. <laughs> like you could, breaking my heart. You, you could say Bruce Springsteen, although I love Springsteen's poetry. Right. It's so funny. I have a, just this big blank spot because I didn't. I abandoned so much of commercial radio from from about 1971 onward that I just let go of that stuff. Oh, see, this is why you're my idol. Fleetwood Mac. There you go. Okay. That would be the number one for me. Yeah. The number one thing that made me run screaming for music. Really? From rock and roll. It was just the the epitome of overproduction. It was like milk toast to me. Is it still milk toast to you? Oh, absolutely. Really? I cannot stand that stuff. All right, stuff. well, okay. I know I'll piss people off. I do it all no, the time. No, 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 no. Absolutely but, not. But that's what inspired me to make music that had, uh, I'm not saying my music was better than Fleetwood Mac. Let's, let's just get something yeah, really straight right now. It's really important for people who don't know me. I don't think there's a right and wrong to music, right? Yeah. Right. I get that vibe I, about I could, you. I could love something, and it doesn't make it the best music. It's just I love it, right? It talks to my heart. It's art. There's not a right or wrong. So I want to be clear for those who love any of the artists that I've disparaged yeah. so far. I mean, Rumors is saying, one of my favorite uh, albums of all time, but I don't consider you a hater. And, and I'm still talking to you. So I've just proven what I'm trying <laughs> well, to say. Well, right? we're, we're in it now. We're obligated. <laughs> oh, I yeah, could I, put this mic down. Could, <laughs> I could drop mic in a whole... All right, right, all right. Well, no, don't drop my microphone. Do that. That's a so, very expensive yeah. SM58. <laughs> oh, he's looking at his watch already. He's already... <laughs> no, I was seeing that there's a severe thunderstorm warning. and I, Oh, so well, I was we're, just, we're undercover here. Yeah, we're it's fine. a big cover here. Now, Steel roof, by the way. You didn't grow up in Brooklyn. You grew up in Queens, right? I grew up in Brooklyn and in Queens, so uh, you know I don't know what it, what what it means to grow up. I guess you don't either, right? Big Queens fans here at the yeah. at the Wonder Garden. <laughs> I mean, I moved to Queens at the age of nine or ten, lived there till about fifteen, then came to Washington. So I grew up in Washington too. But you've never left. You've been here. You're pretty much your it, entire. Yeah, life. no, everybody else left. My family left. My sister left, and uh, I found my life in music in Washington. And um, I worked in record stores and stuff like that and eventually dropped out of college and quit my job and bought a synthesizer and inspired by that group, the Urban Verbs that I was talking about, and met my lifelong friend, Michael Barron, and we've been playing music uh, off and on for 40 years. Yeah, well, they say bands are like marriages, and this is a guy that you've been making music with since you've been a young man. How does that relationship maintain? Uh, we are both incredibly prolific. Uh, we don't overthink what we do, and we admire one another. Sounds better than a marriage. I, I mean, we, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, he'll send me a guitar part. I'll twist and turn that guitar part, and I'll send it back to him, and he'll love it and add something else to it. We do all our music long distance. All 13 Danger Painter records were all done file exchange. Wow, okay. Because it's interesting that you say that because... I'm in a position where I just moved down to D.C. I mean, it's been a year. And in many ways, I'm still trying to maintain a music career myself, whether it's through recording or through just trying to make my way into the scene. And the podcast has been a great way for me to see whatever scene is down here by going to the various venues. Yeah. In fact, you and I have been at a lot of the same shows. You're, you're, you're hard to miss. <laughs> I wear a you're hat. You're hard to miss with the hat. I yeah. want to talk about the hat. We'll get to the hat. I saw you at an Andrew Bird concert at Kennedy Center. I saw you at Tom York. And then I saw you at the Glenn Hansard show a couple of weeks ago. So clearly, 
despite your disdain for Fleetwood Mac, there is definitely an overlap of musical oh, taste. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a scene in D.C.? I've been to hardcore shows. I've been to electronic shows. I've been to synth pop shows. What's your opinion of like the state of music in Washington, D.C. as we know it today? It's a little tough because having in my life been inside of a music scene, being part of a band that makes music, you get to know the world in a very different way than when we are observers, as you and I are. I don't go to the rehearsal spaces of friends who see other musicians come in and I don't see that intersection that happens. I'm not, you know, 26. So I get the idea that there are pockets of communities and that it thrives. There are group Flasher in this city, the group Priests, both of them play Tiny Desks, there's group Beauty Pill who have played my desk. So there, there are artists that come who I know, who I love, I admire. Some are interconnected, priests and flasher. They, in fact, they've shared musicians. Uh, Beauty pills off on their own little world. But they're exciting, amazing groups in Washington, D.C. How tightly knit they are, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know the hip-hop scene in D.C., not my world. Something that I've gone through during my time doing the podcast, and certainly more so since I moved down to D.C., and something you can totally speak to, and I want to get your opinion on this, how do you keep up? I'm sure compared to me, and I get music like fed to me. I don't by, keep up. You don't? I gave up keeping up. I mean, I, I have currently 20,000 unread emails in my inbox. Oh, my God. Like, what do you do, you know? I, I, it's, I listen all day, every day, if I can. So I'm sure I, you do as well. I, I, well, I can't anymore because, I mean, I take a day like today. I walk in the door. I had to write a newsletter. I can't be listening to music while I'm writing a newsletter. Uh, I then had to write a uh, copy for a tiny desk that happened uh, six weeks ago. So the group St. Sister were here, and I write the copy for the page. I would maybe listen to some of the St. Sister tiny desk, but I'm, again, I'm not absorbing new music when I'm doing that. This afternoon when I go home, well, this early evening when I go home, uh, I'll be cutting the radio version of the All Songs Considered podcast. So. I'm going to cut down a show that's 45 minutes long to a show that's 29 minutes. I'm not going to be listening to music when I'm do that. After write the Mia Follick Tiny Desk that's due for Friday, that copy, I can't listen to music. So, I'm exhausted just listening to this. <laughs> so that's my day. That's my, that's my one day. That's what I did. And then, of course, meetings, you know, that you go to. Yeah. Uh, so most of my listening would happen when um, I wake up in the morning, uh, when I'm cooking and eating and making the bagels. driving and making bagels. Yeah. Do you get sick of it? Do you no, get sick never. of music? Never. I do like to now and again touch old favorites. I'm not a coal miner. My job is not hard, right? So yeah. we'll start there. Let's lay this out. <laughs> so when this sounds like I'm complaining, I'm not no, complaining. No, no, the humility but, is but shining the, through, Bob. But the biggest drawback to the job I have is that I can't spend time listening over and over to records I love. And that's what I miss the most. So even a record that I might love this year, um, the Aldous Harding record, for example, I've probably listened to it five or six times all the way through. That's not a lot of times for a deep record like that. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem in today's day and age, not for guys like you and me as much as even for the average music fan, is a lot of albums, a lot of musicians, a lot of bands demand multiple listens before you kind of quote yeah. unquote get it. And in today's day and age, in a, in a short attention span world, where everything is at your fingertips, Spotify, YouTube, yeah. 
it's very difficult to break through because people will listen to one song or maybe not even a whole song and they'll just move on to the next thing. For a guy like me, when I moved down here, I made a commitment. It was a year that I've been down here and from the very moment I said, I'm never going to have 20,000 emails, <laughs> but I'm OCD. But I also feel some sort of kinship to the musicians who send me stuff because I put myself in their shoes. Right. Like, what if I sent you my music? Would I want you to actually sit there and pay attention to it, undivided attention to it for however long the EP or the album is? So I try to practice that as being on the other end of it to give these artists a chance. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Well, thank you. And, and I do the same, except when I first started All Songs Considered, which is coming up on 20 years ago, my promise was that I listen to everything I get. It's just not physically possible anymore. <laughs> and so broken that and promise. And so it, it's not, it's well, beyond my control, sleeping. right? It's, it's it still wouldn't. <laughs> even right. without sleep? Even without sleep. Even if I listen 24 hours a day, every day, and never slept, it's physically not possible. All right. Okay. And so I need to sleep, right? So that's seven hours out of the day. And I just described to you my day. I have a job I get paid for. The reason... I could bring me a follic in to do a tiny desk is because I did carve out the time to not just listen to a record, but to go see her, you know? And so I have to find focus somehow, some way. Understand. I understand. And, and Clearly you've thought this through. Well, clearly you've justified in your own mind that, that <laughs> how you just I can can't, possibly sleep at night not listening to the record that you right, sent you just me. Can't make it Why happen. haven't you responded, Bob? Well, maybe you know, maybe you could make some tweaks and just listen as you fall asleep. Like put the headphones on, maybe get a couple songs in before the REM kicks in. Last night before I fell asleep, I fell asleep to my own music. Really? I, yeah, oh, that's I mean, narcissistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did a concert the other night with this improv band I play in, and the fellow Ted Zook who puts this stuff together we're a group called Heterodyne um, we played at a place called Rhizome which is an experimental music place in DC have you been there yet? No, what is Rhizome? it called? Rhizome. No, you see, right, see this is... We're going to talk about this. This is half the reason so, like I do the podcast. Talk about music scenes, experimental music Rhizome, Tacoma Park, go there okay. just go, just yeah, take your chance. I live in chance. Silver Spring so it's pretty yeah. close. Oh, there you go. So I played music there Friday night and Ted sent me a tape and I hadn't had a chance to listen to it I listened to half of it before I conked out when I got the opportunity to come down here and live in D.C. and work at NPR, a friend of mine was super excited for me because he is a Bob Boylan super fan. <laughs> he has your book. Oh, wow. He's, uh, it's he, called Your Song Changed My Life. As that's he right. plugs his own free book plug, right now. Free plug. I will be the first person to admit that I have not read the book, but I, I certainly want to read the book. It's you interviewing other artists about songs that changed their lives. That's right. So you get Jimmy Page and Wilco, I mean, Jeff Tweedy and... St. Vincent and all sorts of people. All right, maybe you give me a discount on the book. We'll talk. We'll I'll talk give you the book. The oh, he's going to give me the book. Done. I'm pulling out a, some write-in questions from my friend Anthony LaSala, Brooklyn native, Brooklyn, New York, one, of my, like one of my friends, <laughs> Anthony LaSala. I think I went to school with him. <laughs> <laughs> he must have uh, known Jimmy Schialto, my friend. Uh, Anthony writes, <laughs> Dear Bob, you've been exploring photographing musicians in concert more and more. What do you enjoy about that process, and how has that affected your experience at shows? It's really been a beautiful thing, because I, I, like many, took pictures with my phone when I went to shows, uh, when those became available and decent enough. Mm. Uh, and, um, and let me interject. You're always, even during the Tiny Desk concerts, your professional camera is always nearby. Yes, yeah, so I started taking pictures about uh, four or five years ago, 
And I really love it. I love to capture a moment. And as my memory fades, as I get older, it's really nice to go back and look at them. <laughs> I mean, I have a platform to share. So if yesterday the group 47 Soul comes and plays my desk and I capture a great picture of it, well, I can put out a picture of 47 Soul. People who know the work that I do may actually go and listen to this extraordinary band of Palestinian artists. I love being able to do that. So with the phone, I was limited in how good my picture could be, how close I could get. Uh, with a camera, I can tell a story, and I like doing that. And, I, and I'm not one of those people who, like, there are a lot of people in this world who say, man, put your phone away, pay attention, be in the moment. Yeah. I, I find that a little bit of BS because I can absolutely be in the moment and take a picture at the same time. I mean, I, it's, the music comes through my ears, and I can completely get lost in that moment and take a picture. In fact, in my brain, they are become one thing. I know when that music is happening. I know when, if that guitarist made this amazing move and that same part of the song is gonna come around again, I'm there with that person. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I know that guitarist is gonna make that move again and I'm so inside the music I can predict, well, attempt to predict right. it's not a, it's not a science it's a it's an art well if anybody uh, can predict it it's you bob but you know so i'm ready for the picture it's refreshing to hear you say that because as a new york curmudgeon who goes to many concerts it does bug me a little bit to see everybody holding their smartphone up people shouldn't do it to be uh disruptive you know take a handful of pictures and put it away that's what i do so that's the the I pick my one song or my two songs where I just want right. to shoot my 15 seconds of video or take a couple of snaps just to commemorate that I was there. Yeah. I agree with people who don't want somebody in front of them the whole time holding their phone up. Of course, that's stupid. That's not right. That's not considerate. But people can take pictures and take a minute video and not ruin your entire evening. Like, let that go. Well, you don't know me very well, Bob. Well, then the music, <laughs> you got to let the music get inside of you more, buddy. <laughs> Another writing question from Anthony LaSalle, but it's also one of my questions. Are there any bands from the past 30 years that have come close to matching your love of the Beatles? Wow. Well, I mean, if you, if you move to the 70s, I, I would have easily said Talking Heads. Yeah. Oh, fill that. 80s might be tougher. Oh, he's going decade by decade here. Well, I'm just in my, in my brain, just... I don't. This is a tough one. I I might have to pull my phone out and start looking at things. All right, you've you've stumped him, Anthony. It, it, yeah, I just want to be good about this answer because it's a great question. I would have guessed that you might have said Radiohead. Uh, there certainly would be there. Yeah. 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 Only because I feel like that's a right answer to give for anybody who grew up loving the Beatles. Why do you think that? Because they've managed to become legendary without kind of channeling that commercial appeal that you see from other bands and other artists they've maintained they're still making great records they're still relevant yep um that's enough yeah <laughs> i'm there I mean, I mean bowie would certainly be in that all right class, yeah okay right? uh i'm just looking i'm on the bees here <laughs> oh do you have a list <laughs> No, I'm just what looking. At, what are you referring to I'm on that phone? I'm looking now at my four and five. I rate my songs in my library, so these are my four and five star oh, what songs. What a nerd! What do you mean I'm a nerd? <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> I also saw online. Do you have like a uh, like a spreadsheet or a log 
of like every uh, concert we're really you've ever gonna been get to. nerdy now aren't we <laughs> you're gonna let out all my secrets i can challenge that things. but but yeah but it may you know again it makes me feel good about my own stuff so uh <laughs> what i do is um at the end of the year i i keep a running list of who i've seen all year but i've only yeah. been doing that for the last six or seven years so in my life i don't have that list started doing more blog writing and stuff it was i found it fascinating to look back at a list um, let, let me trump you. The man that I referred to, my friend, Yeah. he and I and, and about two or three other of my old school friends from back in the day, we come from all stretches of the earth at least once a year to do something called um, List Night. Oh, wow. And that is nerdy. We will get together and we will pick our best albums of the 70s or we will pick the best first songs on an album. Yeah. And everybody will come correct with their list. <laughs> and then I will sit there with and an Excel spreadsheet. Is it all guys, spreadsheet. by the way? What's that? Is it all guys, by the way? It's all guys. I'm, I'm kind of figuring that. I, I, my ex-wife was involved for yeah. a while. But then we she got, take it we got divorced. Could she? We didn't get divorced because of that. <laughs> that's but, what she says. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something that I feel like somebody like you would appreciate is that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's not. We don't publish it for the yeah, world yeah. to see. Right. It's just for us. It. What else I think we probably have about 15 more minutes before a thunderstorm blows through here. I'm just looking at oh, the sky. Oh, Bob so, Boylan, anyway. meteorologist, is, uh, all right, well, i got to get home. <laughs> I'm not hurrying you. I'm just seeing people looking at the sky. Well, let's talk about Bob Boylan, the tastemaker. First of all, what does that word mean to you? Uh, well, you, you have to put the yeast in warm water. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I mean... I am fortunate enough. I've been at NPR now for 30 years. I am fortunate enough to have produced music stories for an awfully long time that people have heard and has influenced the things that they listen to, influenced the lives of the musicians that I've featured. And I'm very, 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 very fortunate to be in that position. I mean, it's got to be an amazing thing to elevate a band's or an artist's status yeah. is something that undeniably you have the power to do at this point. I mean, yes, is the answer. I do. I never, ever think of it in terms of power. It's more like, oh, my God, I love this. Can I get more people to hear this? Yeah. But that's got to be a great feeling. I mean, as a musician it's yourself, especially. It's extremely wonderful when an artist comes up to me. We just got off this Tiny Desk contest tour we talked about. Quinn Christofferson's life is forever changed thanks to us. And I helped pick that artist, and I feel wonderful and proud about it. I think pride is the thing that I feel. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the hat. When was the hat a thing? When did you lose your hair? You're well, I wore a hat so long before I lost my hair. If you look at That's probably why some tiny desk, <laughs> tiny desk unit back in 1979, I used to wear a, what was, I think, referred to as a fisherman's cap. So it had a really super long bill, I was told, so that the fisherman could put the hooks in the cap. Makes sense, sure. I have a picture of me and my dad when I'm 28, and I've got this monster wicker hat that I used to wear. So you're a hat uh, I, guy. I have a Greek fisherman's hat that I bought in the, that era. I like hats. I like the personality that they convey, and I bought this hat. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, you know, not having a full head of hair anymore. Uh, it's nice to not have that as a first impression when you see people. But anyway, I like the style. And, and what I learned that the hat this hat here, which is a sort of a fedora-styled hat, sure. what it did was it made me recognizable in clubs. It turns out, despite the fact that I am inherently a shy person, 
which might oh, not take a, yeah this whole thing about being a personality and stuff is not my persona in my Same life here. right okay Same there here. you go so uh, music's helped me come out of a shell it's kept me in a shell for a long time in my bedroom listening to records alone but it's also given me confidence to speak out to be passionate about something and the hat God, do they have to play this goddamn Eagle song? I was thinking as is, this oh, is this is I was like, thinking this is the if, this is the band he the, should have said. The next thing coming up is going to be Fleetwood Mac. I'm just Fleetwood and that's Mac. when the interview ends because I'm going to go over and take your SM58 and I'm going to crush whatever they're using to play uh, it on. The Eagles, one of my dad's favorite bands. But go, but yeah, but I too I, many I, dad's favorite bands. So I anyway, um, so when I started wearing the hat, I started meeting people because I'd come up and. You know, I'd be in some city and they'd say, oh, wow, I listen to your show because they'd see a picture of me on NPR with the hat. And it became a, an ice-breaking thing. It became a way to, for me to meet and talk to people and get feedback on what I do uh, and just engage with people. It works like a charm. Well, you're talking to a guy who went bald when he was about 18, 19 years old. Seriously? Yeah, and at the time, George Costanza was the, uh, the poster boy for baldness. So it was not cool to be bald, and it was very, especially as a musician, and somebody who was trying to make an impression on right. people, it was a traumatizing thing. And I started a label called Bald Freak Music. <laughs> I started a band called Q-Ball. I tried to embrace my dire situation and turn a negative into a positive. Uh -huh. And now, like being bald is kind of second nature. It's... That's good. It's totally cool. So uh, I'm only looking at the uh, at the radar. That's all. You keep going. You, you're very obsessed with the weather. Bob. I, I love <laughs> looking at radar maps. Bob has you're a feature as a weatherman. You're the first once, person to ever know this. Once the music thing <laughs> falls See, through, look, like it's right up that that big. Red. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm trying to tell you that. For well, the last... I'm going to get out of here soon, so <laughs> that's fine. You, I would love to just touch on how you made your bones at NPR. You basically just showed up. From what I read online, Ira Glass, who's a famous now, producer, not then, gave you your break and said, hey, do you cut tape? And you said, yeah, I cut tape, but you didn't cut tape. Uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Turn this music off! <laughs> the, it's going to fade out any, any second. <laughs> I don't think this guitar solo ever ends. Oh, my God. Uh, Hang on a Don minute, Feld I need to catch my breath. <laughs> It's too much it's, Don Felden. I'm, I'm telling you, they're going to play Fleetwood Mac. I, so in 1983, I was a musician. I was doing avant-garde theater and music for avant-garde theater, uh, a theater company I worked with called Impossible Theater. And I wrote the music and did the engineering for the group. And uh, sampling was just coming of age. And there was a company. I made, I played an instrument called a Synclavier at a friend's studio who owned one. They're, they're like these $15,000, $20,000 back then synthesizers that my friend owned the studio he gave me the keys to that studio to learn how to use that stuff Sinclavier was on the heels of, of putting out a, a sampler which meant in those days that I mean that's monsters you can do that on your phone now but back in those days to be able to sample something and make music of out of it was revolutionary and I went to New England Digital and made a, a proposal it was a music festival that was going to happen in 1983 in Washington, D.C. called New Music America, bringing new composers into D.C. to present their work. And so I proposed New England Digital that they loan me one of these samplers so I could make music. And I wanted to make music for my theater company called Whizbang, which 
turned out to be called Whiz Bang, A History of Sound. Imagining the history of sound from the beginning of time to the end of time in 20 minutes. I got the instrument. I made the piece. It, we, the installation of that piece went into the Smithsonian Museum. Wow. And uh, somebody in D.C. wrote an article about it. NPR wrote the, read the article, invited me on their show. I went on All Things Considered, and they did a story on my music in 1983. Uh, many years later, when I was sick of working in my TV job because I really didn't like it in the first place, I loved NPR. I went to them and did what you said. I basically walked in the door and I said, remember me? You guys produced a story on my music five years ago. Uh, I think it was Ira Glass. Ira says it wasn't Ira Glass. He said it was somebody else. They said, do you cut tape? Well, I'd put leader tape on a piece of regular tape yeah. with, a, with a piece of splicing tape. So I wasn't a complete lie, but it really didn't cut tape. But anyway, they gave me an interview to cut. Back then, reel-to-reel tape, I cut the interview, I gave it to them, they said, come in Monday. And I would just show up every day, say, hey, guys, need help, and they'd hire me for a week, they'd hire me for two weeks, and then in a year, I was directing All Things Considered. It was the most insane, ridiculous, like, how did that possibly happen story. I, I can't believe it. Part of your job as the director of All Things Considered was to pick the music, which the technical term is called buttons. Right. Which is also the name of my dog, No Coincidence. No kidding. Yeah, wow. but it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> For the layman, picking buttons is basically finding those little pieces of music that kind of segue in and out of the stories right. to, to stay on the clock. Yeah. Um, and from that, birthed All Songs Considered, which was basically designed initially to feature that music that you were using year. as the buttons. Yeah, who's this music, by the way? I can't. Uh, it's Def Leppard. Okay, yeah. good. Um, Not good, but good. <laughs> I'm sure you look back on that. I mean, do you believe in serendipity, Bob? Do you believe that all that that you just described, the synth clavier, the Smithsonian, and everything has led up to this very moment of you sitting here at the Wonder Garden as Slash to plays Def the lead it's a really to great Sweet life. Child of Mine? Do you believe, <laughs> hey, they do you believe in that? Thank you. <laughs> do you believe in that stuff, Bob? Uh, I do believe that if you leave yourself open to possibilities, uh, that opportunity comes your way, and you have to be uh, ready for it and open to it. So NPR didn't call me up after my thing and say, hey, Bob, you want to come work for NPR? I mean, it was a push. NPR didn't say, hey, would you like to host a, uh, an online music show? I you had a, presented you had a that idea. Right. It was, you it took was my the bull idea. By the horns. Right. So, yeah. So I think both things happen, uh, and it's important to keep your ears and eyes open. Uh, for those opportunities and then seize them and be creative about them. I also feel very fortunate. I think the thing that I learned when I came to NPR is that people see things in you that you don't see. And I think uh, I certainly didn't see that I had any of the talents when they said, hey, do you want to direct? I knew what the director of that show did and I knew I couldn't do it, but they somehow thought I could. And I just said, yeah, well, well first I said, I, I can't do that. And then I thought and I said, well, wait a minute. Yeah, let, let, me, let me try. So people often see things in yourself that you can't see, and that's important to recognize. I want to leave the podcast on that nugget of wisdom. I mean, for anybody who's an independent artist, who's an independent musician, like that's what it's all about, like putting yourself in a position for success. And even if you're a shy guy like Bob or Ron, and I'll be the first person to admit, like before I got involved in music, and, and even in a lot of ways, just in my personal life, I'm very introverted. And the podcast, even though it's not bringing me fame and fortune, has been almost like an exercise in exercising those demons yep. as far as That's awesome. putting myself out there. So, 
Bob, I appreciate the time. I'm sorry that we have to end on a Guns N' Roses song. <laughs> but um, this is episode 100. This is a super exciting time. It's, it's a milestone for me. And I couldn't think of a better guest to be talking Thanks, to Mark. for episode 100 of the Independent awesome. Mind Podcast. Oh, he's shaking my hand. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. All right, let's get out of here before the rain starts. All righty. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. I doubt if you recall I would have noticed if you did Sits there a boy in the corner of the ocean So well hid Listening to rid of me And live through this It's his only intensity it's his only kill Picture the end of summer When headphones are halos in teenage bedrooms Dreams they're a boy Listening to OPP And it's a shame, my sister And it's a shame about him They whisper I could tell you all How he slipped his keepers Walk then a boy Up the one-way mountain In flames Yes, he did While sunshine in ecstasy Was making its way His monster angel
I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here, I was here. That was time spent from Danger Painters. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Wonder, Get the Goods, Find Out More, Bow at the Altar of Bob's Very Cool Concert Photography at bobboylan.info. And follow Bob online at Tiny Desk. Big thanks to Bob for taking time out from ignoring his 20,000 unread emails to spend time talking with me. And just a side note, Bob was spot on with his weather forecast. Five minutes after we parted ways, the rains arrived to prove Bob a prophet. And holy we did it. We made it to 100. Well, I did it mostly, but you did it too, because what's a podcast without listeners? The ravings of a bald lunatic, that's what. And whether you're here for the first time or you've been here since the beginning, I thank you. Subscribe, leave a kind review, tell your hippie friends to tune in, press play on your wireless doohickeys on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio. And follow online at Bald Freak Music and stalk me online at baldfreak.com. And big thanks to our new sponsor, Bloom Farm CBD. Check them out, bloomfarmcbd.com. Enter the promo code BALDFREAK at checkout. Get 20% off your purchase. And if you're like me, you're not sure about tinctures, you're asking yourself, what the hell am I putting in my body? It's all up there on the site. It's organic, non-GMO, vegan-based. Find out about Bloom Farm's mission, their awesome one-for-one program to feed the hungry. They've already donated over 1 million meals, thanks to people like you and me. Make an impact, make a difference. Find your balance, relax, recover, be unstoppable. Visit bloomfarmscbd.com. Don't forget, promo code BALDFREAK at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Give it a try. Otherwise, as my dad says, 20% of nothing is nothing. Next time on Independent Minded, on the waterfront with Eric Johnson of Chicago, Illinois, indie folk band Fruit Bats. na 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 Fruit Bats. Na 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 fruit bats, fruit bats, fruit bats. <laughs>